Good morning, Parkway Church. As we see in that video, I think we see the Christmas story a little bit differently. You know, growing up in America, maybe possibly even growing up in the church, you've heard the Christmas story uh, time and time again. And you may know the Christmas story. You may even know why it matters so much. But you have to stop and do every once in a while is actually put yourself in the story. You see, we can read the Bible in the third person all the time. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But what you have to do is at times stop and put yourself in the story. Put yourself in their shoes. You see the nativity scene all the time, but have you ever stopped and thought, what would it have been like to be them? When you do that, you actually learn lessons about their faithfulness about how they responded to such an extreme situation. That's what we're going to do this month of December in our series Nativity Scene. And today, we're going to specifically be doing that with the example of Mary. We're going to put ourselves in her shoes as she had such a key responsibility in the Christmas story, but her response is what is truly amazing. You can turn there right now. Luke chapter 1 will be there all day today in Luke 1. You can follow along in the Parkway app. We'll be there all day today in Luke chapter 1. We see a response. She says this, um, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Galilee was kind of the backwoods um, part of the world at that time, out of all of Israel. It was, for lack of better words, the sticks, okay? Uh, people would sometimes make fun of Galilee, but that's where Mary and Joseph were from. 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary at this time was likely in her teens. Um, it's doubtful she was even in her 20s. She was likely very young, younger than you would normally think of. Joseph was older. He was from the line of David. That's important because uh, it was promised that the Messiah would be delivered to the line of David. So God was fulfilling his promises through so much of this. But what I want to look at is her response. <laughs> now keep in mind, she's about to have a very unique interaction here. <laughs> she didn't wake up that morning, but you know what? thinking angel's going to talk to me today. <laughs> that was not her day. She woke up any other day, but this happened. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now when we read that, I think we read and think Mary was sitting there going about her day, and an angel appeared, and he said, greetings. <laughs> And she just looked, oh, I wonder what this angel has to say to me. Like, that is not how it happened. She was going through her day-to-day -day life, and out of nowhere, an angel responded. You know what she did in response? Ah! <laughs> she was terrified. Out of nowhere, an angel appeared, and he started talking to her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Mary, who was greatly troubled, I would be too. <laughs> at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What did he mean, the Lord is with you? <laughs> what do you mean that I am highly favored? Mary came from a very blue-collar background. Uh, she didn't have a lot of money. Her family didn't have a lot of money. She came from kind of a backwoods area of the world. Why is an angel 
talking to her. That's what she's asking. Why out of anybody is this angel talking to me, and why is he saying these things to me? There's nothing special about me. That's what she's saying in her mind, I'm willing to bet. Why me? Why is he saying, I am highly favored, I'm flattered, but God, this seems like an odd choice. Look at this, verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. I think at that point she was kind of flattered, like, oh, me. God has found favor with me. He sees me. He is talking to me. Like, that is an amazing blessing. That's some good news. And so Mary is going through a roller coaster of emotions. Sheer terror. <laughs> There's a talking angel. <laughs> I didn't expect this. To God favors me. God sees me. So she is flattered at this point. But then the story changes in verse 31, and things take a turn that she did not wake up and think was going to happen that morning. Verse 31, she says, he said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. Surprise! You're pregnant! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Put yourself in her shoes. You did not see that part coming, did you? There's this angel talking to me. Oh, awesome. My ancestors had angels that talked to them. Hey, by the way, you're pregnant. <laughs> Pick your jaw up off the floor. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this won't just be any baby. This is going to be a very special baby. Surprise, you're pregnant, and he is not just any average infant. Put yourself in her shoes. What would be your response? <laughs> Seriously, put yourself in her shoes. I would have so many questions. <laughs> like, I would have so many questions. You ever had so many questions that you don't know which one to ask first? Like, you want to sit down and write out a list of, like, question 1 through 75, and you're like, these are all good. I can ask one. Which one do I pick? I think that was her emotion going on right there. And she picked, I guess, the first question that come to her mind, verse 34. How will this be? Good question. Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, things haven't happened for this to happen. We're going to go into detail for that. Somewhat of family service. You're welcome. Uh, how in the world could this be? Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. <laughs> we hear that, and we go, of course, it's the Christmas story. It's going to be the Son of God. Mary will be the Father. It's the Son of God, of course. This is all new to her. So here's how she heard that. Hey, you're favored by God. God sees you. He cares for you. You're going to be, you're pregnant right now, by the way. And um, P.S., God's the Father. <laughs> oh, <laughs> imagine being in her shoes. Shocked does not come to even close describing her reaction. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month for no, for, in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So, hey, you're not in this alone. She had so many questions. 
So, so many questions, so many mixed emotions going on. And I think she also realized how important this was, because this is important. The Christmas story matters. It's not just a nice holiday. I want you to hear this. Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, Victoria, everybody listening online, still visiting family. This is not just a nice story. This is a story that matters. This is a story of the Messiah who came to die for our sins, the Savior of the world. This is His story. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, we'll jump out of Luke real quick, describes it very well. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came so that we may be adopted into the family of God. And if He had not came, there would have been no way for us to be adopted in the family of God. If Jesus had not come, we would be dead in our sin. We would have no way out of the consequences of our sin, which is separation from God for now into eternity, hell itself. But instead, God came to us. That's what this story is. I think Mary understood that. God was coming to us. Jesus was fully God. He was perfect. He was holy, blameless, righteous. He had done no wrong. He saw all. He was powerful. He was the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, so that He was powerful enough to take away the sins of all of us. Yet He was also man. You see, it's both, and we say, why does both matter? Because not only is He God, not only can He save us from our sin, but He knew what it was like to be tempted. He never sinned, yet He knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to hurt, to have loss, to have heartache, to be betrayed. He was not just a Savior that felt sorry for us. He was a Savior that could emulate in our suffering. He chose to leave perfection with God the Father, to come to us, to be born in this humble family in the middle of nowhere, with humble means, with a setting that was by no means a reflection of His glory and goodness and love and mercy. That is the story that Mary was entering into. And I think she knew it. She may not have been able to articulate every single last part of it, but she knew that this mattered. Now, here's the question. How would she respond? How would she respond to this? It's a roller coaster emotion. There is both praise and joy and terror. Because going through her mind, she's saying, I'm, I'm going to be the, the, the mother of the Messiah. What's Joseph going to do? <laughs> I'm going to be known by all, but how is this all going to work out? If he leaves, how am I going to like, supply, like, provide for this child? How is this all going to work out? There was a million and one questions, and she didn't have very many answers. How would she respond? She is going to be used by God in an amazing and powerful way. How would she respond? The easy answer there to go is, well, she should respond with the biblical response, Right? <laughs> What's the biblical response? Because <laughs> all through Scripture, men and women were used by God powerfully. Their initial responses were not all great. I think of the example of Moses. He was chosen by God to leave the slave, the slave people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 
And when God came to him and says, you're going to set my people free, he argued with God for a chapter and a half, <laughs> obnoxiously. He says, God can use somebody else. I don't speak well. I don't want to do this. Give me a sign. Give me another sign. Just one more sign, please. And finally, God just says, go, do it. <laughs> okay. That was a response that was on the table. God still used Moses in a powerful way, but his initial response was not a great example. But Jonah, <laughs> God used Jonah and said, hey, you're going to go to Nineveh to go and proclaim God's glory and mercy to these people who do not know God. Jonah's response, no. <laughs> he walked away. He didn't walk away. He ran the opposite direction. And so what would be Mary's response? We have to put ourselves in her shoes, though. Because we can easily say, well, Mary, here's how you should respond. Put yourself in her shoes. That's what's important. Whenever you read Scripture, do this. Put yourself in their shoes. When you read the Gospels, put yourself in their shoes. When you read the Old Testament, put yourself in their shoes. The prophets, put yourself in their shoes. How would you respond? I have to do that myself. How would I respond in that situation? A disclaimer, I don't think God's going to give me the responsibility that he gave to Mary. I think that job has been fulfilled. But how would you respond if God chose to use you in this amazing and powerful way, yet you didn't have all the answers? How would you respond? I want to show you how she responds, and her response challenges me. It does. It convicts me. Her response is amazing. Her response is one of the best examples I can find in Scripture. Look at this, verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. That is an example to follow. She, she didn't just say, God, I give you my yes. She said, I am your servant. I have no other response to give. You see, it's important that she said, I am your servant. I am the Lord's servant. What she was pointing out there is she has said, you know what, God? I was already yours. I think what led to this response is this response had already been decided in her life. You see, the key to this type of response is you today to here and now say, God, my life is yours. You are Lord of my life. This life is yours. It's not mine. This money isn't mine. It's yours. This career isn't mine. It's yours. This family, this marriage, it is yours. It's not mine. I am a servant. You are God. And when that's your mindset, this response can happen. doesn't still come easy, but that's what's key. She said, I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's the response that's challenging, that's convicting, that I want in my life, and I believe we all want in our lives. I think there's lessons to be learned from her response. I think we have to see this, that she responded with a yes, but not all yeses are created equal. <laughs> They're not. Not all yeses are created equal. I'll give you an example. It's Christmas season, and your family may be like mine, okay? Some want to put up Christmas decorations as kids are still eating their Halloween candy, okay? Others in the family, less excited about it. My family, the way it works, my wife 
loves Christmas. Okay, like you say you love Christmas. No, your love pales in comparison to her love for Christmas. It just does. Like Halloween is happening. Trick-or-treaters are out. They're heading home. She's like, bust out the Christmas lights. It's the best time of year. That is my family. My wife loves Christmas. And I love Christmas too. Okay, I'm not Scrooge. However, my response is, the lights are in the attic, and I don't want to go up there, and then I have to crawl on the house, and then I have to staple them on there, and I don't like heights and all this. And so, now, do I eventually get out the lights and decorate? Yes. But my yes is a bit less enthusiastic. Who all? That is your family. All right, that is you. All the women are like, yes, it is. All the men are here like, right? Like, that is your, like, the lights still get up there, but your yes was slightly less enthusiastic. <laughs> When God calls you to say, I want to use you, what's the nature of your yes? Is it this enthusiastic, let's do this right now, or is it, fine, I guess I'll do it. (laughs) What's the nature of your yes? And I think you even see the nature of your yes in not just how happily you respond to it, but your obedience as you respond to the yes, like your actual actions. Reminds me when I was a kid, my dad during the summers would always leave us a to-do list. Anybody have these when you grew up? Like your parents would always leave you this to-do list? My dad would leave me a to-do list, and it was always fun, because his handwriting is actually worse than mine, and that's impressive, okay? So I'll be reading this to-do list, and I'm like, we got to mop. we got to mop the spaceship. All right, we're going to go mop the spaceship. That's what it says, I swear. We're going to go mop the, Brian, go find the spaceship. we got to mop it. I, I had no idea what he was writing on there. But I knew I had to do what he said when he got back home. Like, that was the rules. I had to do this list before he got home. And so me and my brother had this pact. We were going to do this list before he got home. We were going to obey. We were going to respond with a yes. Ten minutes before he got back home. (laughs) That was the agreement. No need to spend the day on it. We would do it ten minutes before he got home. Yet sometimes my dad would have the audacity to come home early. (laughs) The gall to show up early from work and ruin our plan. And he would do this, and we would have to go into turbo mode. This is championship. This is Super Bowl. This is when we put our training into practice. We would do and clean the entire house as he was getting out of his truck. And if we were lucky, if we were really lucky, he would go to the mailbox. It's a minute and a half we just bought. This is great. Good news. I'm looking out there like, we got another minute and a half. And looking back, my dad, I knew why he does this now. He would go to the mailbox, and he would look through all the bills (laughs) slowly. Credit card offer, credit card offer, wrong address, wrong address. Was he actually that interested in the bills? No. He knew his idiot kids were inside trying to clean the house at the last minute. Like, he knew us. He was trying to give us the last-minute chance to do it so he didn't have to argue with us. He's a very wise man. <laughs> now, did I, was I obedient? Technically. <laughs> but my actions weren't this resounding yes of obedience, were they? You see, sometimes we can give God our yes, but our heart isn't in the right place. Sometimes we can give God our yes, but our actions are less than just enthusiastic. We kind of give God our yes, but it's almost like He drug us doing it. The yes that we're called to give 
doesn't look like that. It looks like Mary's. Mary's yes response is amazing. Her initial response is great. How she answers later on with her actions, with her words, are truly an example to live by. Look at what she says, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What's she doing right here? She's worshiping. She had a million questions. She wasn't certain, I'm sure, about all of this. But what does she do? She worships. She is worshiping, saying, My soul glorifies the Lord. God, you have chosen to use me. And she worshiped. You see, we can have two mindsets when God calls us to use us. We can have this, this mindset of, fine, I guess I'll do it. I'll, I'll get it done. Or we can say, God, I thank you that you even counted me worthy to be used by you. The second one glorifies the Lord. The second one glorifies Him. The second one transforms lives. The second one is recognized by those around us. The second one is what gives us joy and fulfillment and meaning. Mary's response is the example. She wasn't well trained before this. She wasn't this massive influencer in her society. But her response of worship as she gave God her yes is an amazing example. And look what she keeps on saying. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What she's saying there, and fill in the blanks right here, is she is worshiping God. She's worshiping God by believing God's promises. She's saying, God, may all this happen. You said it. I trust in you. It's going to happen. She was worshiping by trusting in what God said by believing God's promises. She had a trust in it. Not just a trust by saying it, but a trust down in her bones that actually showed up in her actions. That is trust. And what we have to do here, this is an example for us. We have to say, God, do I actually trust your promises? Do I trust that you're a promise maker and a promise keeper? For some of us, it's hard. Because you've had people in your lives that may have not been very good promise makers and promise keepers. And what you can easily do is take their mistakes of those people who are imperfect and put them on a perfect God. They may have not been good promise makers or promise keepers. We have all broken promises. God hasn't. He's a promise maker, a promise keeper, and we worship Him by believing and trusting in His promises. I think this one's an important one to remember. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you have a confidence that God wants to do a good work in you? Not the person next to you, not your spouse, not the person that you look up to in their faith, in you. You see, we've created this type of Christian that's like on the sideline watching and cheering everybody else on as they go and do the good work of God. That is not Scripture. God has a good work for you to do, for you. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Not pastors go make disciples. Not some may go make disciples. 
all believers to go and make disciples of all nations. That's an amazing work, and He entrusted it to you. To go love God, to go love people, to go reach your co-workers with the gospel that you have an amazing opportunity to do, to love and raise your children in fear of the Lord and to love God, to be the supporter to your spouse, to do all those things that God has called you to do? Do you have a trust that He can actually use you and you worship Him by believing the promise that He can actually do those things? Look what she says next, verse 48. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servants. She was acknowledging there wasn't anything special about her. She was acknowledging that. God chose her for a reason, because He knew her response, but He knew there wasn't something magical and special about her. She didn't come from some wealthy family. She wasn't this well-trained mover and influencer in her culture. She was known by very few people, and she acknowledged that you're mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She was right. Who are we talking about today? Mary. She knew that if she responded with obedience, people would see the glory of God. They would see that that He was willing to use her, that the Messiah would be born through her, that she would get to raise this amazing Son of God. She knew that people would count her blessed, and she was right, and we're fulfilling that today. But here's what we also see, that she was worshiping by remembering what He has done. Can I fill in the blank number two? Worshiping by remembering all that He has done. You see, Mary grew up in a culture where they would verbally read out loud Scripture. I think she knew Scripture. She knew the stories of God's faithfulness over time. She knew that God had been faithful, and she was remembering God's faithfulness. She was remembering His faithfulness and saying, you know what? You have a great track record. You'll be faithful to me. It's important for us to do. I think it's even important for us to do in our own lives. Have you ever gone through a season where God was amazingly faithful in an extremely dark season of your life? I have. Where it was dark, you didn't know what to do, it felt chaotic, yet you knew that God walked with you through that time. He didn't take away all the hardship, He didn't take away all the pain, but you never walked alone. And you knew His goodness because of it. Now is when we remember those times. I remember your faithfulness, and your faithfulness in the past, God, it encourages and allows me to be faithful as time goes on. Fill in the blank number three, the last one. We worship by declaring His goodness. We worship by declaring His goodness. Not just in songs on Sunday, that is great and that is amazing, but we worship by declaring His goodness at all times. I want you to see, Mary had this amazing opportunity, but also this bomb dropped on her. Hey, by the way, you're pregnant. Uh, God is the Father. You're going to raise Him. Good luck. Her response, worship. Not just in a few short sentences, she breaks out into song and praise (laughs) instantly. She breaks out into song and into praise, and not just these shallow surface level words, deep, rich, amazing truths of God that she is declaring and reminding herself of. I think it's important to do that. It's not just that we know that God is faithful, merciful, and loving. We declare it. As we declare it, we're able to trust in it. Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, Victoria, that's why we gather together to declare God's goodness. As we declare it, 
we trust in it more and more and more. Look at what she says. The amazing truth that she declares. Verse 49. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. She's declaring God is all-powerful. I'm not, but He is. He is all-powerful, and I can trust in Him. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. What she's saying here, God, you're in charge. Even when it doesn't feel that way, you're in charge. Even when I have questions, you are in charge. But he's lifted up the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary came from very humble means. And she didn't have all the answers. She didn't even have how Joseph would respond to this yet. That comes later on. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. She didn't know how he would respond. But she was facing, like, what if I have to raise this child alone in a society where it's not easy to be a single mom in this society? <laughs> and not ever, but in this one, it was uniquely difficult, I guess I would say. She was saying, how am I going to be provided for? She was declaring, the answer is God. He will provide for me. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, he is descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. God is merciful, merciful and God is faithful. He's merciful and faithful. It's not just truths we acknowledge and say that's nice. It's truths that we acknowledge and we declare with our mouths and we trust with our actions. You are in charge. You are faithful. You are loving. You see me. You pursue after me. You're all-powerful. You are always in charge. I am not God, and I will trust in you. That's how Mary responded. That's the response that I want. That's the response I want for each and every one of us. Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, Victoria. That's the response that we're called to walk in obedience to. Mary's response. I'd argue it's one of the best responses in all of Scripture. It is. Humble Mary <laughs> had a response that challenges us. I want to challenge you, what does it look like to respond like she did? You say, I don't know what to do. <laughs> she didn't know all of what to do, but she knew this one key truth. She knew her first step was to respond with a yes God would guide her as she needed Him. The same is true for us. Your response isn't to figure out steps 1 through 750. If He did that, we wouldn't have to build up our faith very much, would we? Your response is this. You have to know how to take your first step of responding with a yes. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, is actually speaking to you now of what He's calling you to do. Maybe He is calling you as a parent to step into a certain amount of boldness to speak truth and love into your kids' lives, even when it's not easy, and it's not. Maybe he is speaking to you right now to go speak to a co-worker, a friend of yours that you, knew, you know for a fact does not know the Lord, and you have the gospel that you can share with him. It's scary, isn't it? We're called to respond with a yes. Maybe it's to seek out help for a marriage. Maybe it's help 
you need to seek out for yourself. Whatever it is, the beauty of the gospel is that we receive the Holy Spirit and we believe in Him, and He speaks to us as individuals. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He speaks to you and He's calling you to walk in obedience. What I'm challenging you to do is to have a response to look like Mary's. To say yes when you don't have all the answers and to praise God as you do so. God, I don't know what this looks like all the way. I don't know steps 1 through 750, but I'm going to praise you and walk in obedience and trust as I trust in you. That response changes lives. It changes everything. And I encourage you, I pray for you to walk in that response. For some, you may have walked in here today, and what I would need you to hear is this is she was praising God because she knew she was going to be a part of the Messiah who is coming to earth to save mankind from its sin. Meaning we all have a sin nature. We all have a sin problem. We're all separated from God because of it. Eternally separated from God. We had no hope, no way of getting out of our sin, no way of getting out of the consequences of which was hell itself until Christ came. She was a part of it. It was Christ coming to us to be born on earth, these humble situations that he was in, but he was perfect. He was sinless. And he grew up to be a man who would lead others. And he would die on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, being buried, but the tomb couldn't hold him. He was risen again three days later. Death was defeated. That's why Mary was so happy about this. She understand that God was going to use her to do that. And maybe your response today is to believe in him for the first time to believe in Him. You say, I don't know what, what's life going to look like after that. What does all that entail? We'll talk about that later on. But your step right now is obedience. Yes, Lord, I believe in You today. I invite You to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You because You first loved us. You were mindful of us when we had nothing to offer. We have nothing to give to you in return, yet you love us all the same, Lord. You count us worthy of being used by you. That's amazing. You choose to use us. Mary's an example of each. You choose to use all of us. We are broken people. We have problems, Lord, yet you use us into your glory. May it be when we respond with a yes. May we respond with the response of, God, I trust in you to walk in obedience when you call me. Lord, I pray we may do exactly that. For some, that means stepping into serving. For some, that means stepping into baptism. For some, that means stepping into whatever you're calling them to do right now. But Lord, for some, that means believing in you for the very first time. See, today, maybe they understood that they are truly a sinner in need of a Savior. And the solution to that sin problem isn't I'll work on it. It's not I'll fix things up. We can't fix it ourselves. Only Christ can. And He saved us by dying on the cross. That if we believe in Him, our eternity is changed from eternity apart from God, which is hell itself, to eternity with you, with our Lord and Savior. And it changes in a moment when we believe. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that's their step to believe in you, they may do that now. Maybe marking that belief in you with a simple prayer. Praying, dear Lord, I am broken. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that Savior is Jesus Christ.